I put a lot of pressure on myself. I regret putting that much pressure on myself, but I always felt like everyone would be disappointed in me if I lost, that no one would like me, that no one would love me. And I never thought about myself, which looking back, it's really sad. You are more than just an athlete or just tennis player or basketball player, football player. It doesn't matter. And your worth is not based off your win-loss record. Welcome to United, Conversations for Student-Athletes, a Holinsky's Hope-powered podcast supporting the mental health of student-athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Nicholson. Often it's not until we are removed from a situation or away from a situation that we realize how unhealthy it was or how unhealthy we were in it. Oftentimes we're caught up in the environment of do whatever it takes, push hard, ignore pain, and achieve, sacrifice everything to get to your goal. And that can really create a lot of unhealthy behaviors. But oftentimes athletes don't recognize it until after the fact, until they're away from the situation in a new environment, they look back and they're like, ah, that was not good. Today, we're going to be talking with an athlete that experienced that after she left college she realized how difficult her life had been and how much she went through. Today, we're going to be talking with Tina Shvetkovic. She's originally from Serbia and played tennis at Idaho State University. She moved to another country, not knowing what to expect, but knowing that she wanted to play college tennis in America. She had so much pressure that she put on herself. She struggled with anxiety and injuries that really took a toll on her, but she wanted to achieve, and she was a leader on the team as a team captain. She was playing in the number one position, and she put so much pressure on herself to not let her team down. She did achieve a lot. She was two-time Big Sky All-Conference Player of the Week, Big Sky Conference Female Outstanding Scholar Athlete, and all five years, number one singles and double player, but that came at a price. I'm so happy that she's sharing her story and the insight that she has now about things that she would have done differently, hoping that athletes realize that your own mental health is more important than all those achievements. So I'm very grateful to her for opening up about these things and sharing her story. So Let's get going with today's conversation with Tina Shvetkovic. Tina, welcome to United. Thank you for having me here. We're finally able to do this after a couple of months of planning. Yes, it took some scheduling is always the hardest part. And you just came off the tennis courts. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And you're down there at IMG in Florida. IMG Academy, Bradenton, Florida. Yep. Now, how are you finding that? It's been amazing. I mean, I'm surrounded by so many amazing coaches and female and male athletes. The weather is def- definitely different than Idaho. It's been really hot every single day, but being around athletes and being around coaches really makes me happy. So this is definitely the place where I want to be. Nice. And tennis. And tennis. Because you have been playing since you were little and you 
come from a, an athlete family. Exactly. Yeah. So I started playing when I was, I think when I was seven, my mom used to be, she played college tennis, then she played professionally just for a little bit. And then she went into coaching. My dad used to box. Uh, I have an older brother who started with tennis and then went into boxing. Then it was kind of a mix of both. But funny thing is that my mom never wanted me to play tennis because she knows she knows how tough it is and how much dedication and effort and everything you need in tennis because she's been through a lot. So she didn't. She tried to hide all the rackets when I was little, but I grew up on the court, so it was impossible to keep me away. Nice. Just a game you love. I love it. What was that like growing up in a family that's so athletic? Sport for me was a necessity. Looking back and right now, I don't see myself doing anything else. My priorities were tennis and school. And I grew up in surroundings where a lot of my peers, not just in high school, but even in at the tennis academy where I trained, they like going out, they like drinking, partying and all of that. But I was always different and my priority was tennis and school. And I knew that if I didn't train as hard as I did, I wouldn't get myself to where I am right now. So sports is a big part of our family. And if I didn't have parents who were so dedicated in their sports, I don't think I would be as good at it as I am. Was there ever pressure with that? Yes, especially for my mom. Well, she never, she never put pressure on me. She was never my coach for that reason. I always had my own coach, but I always felt pressure like, okay, I have to do good. My mom was amazing. So I hope I can be as good or even better than my mom. So in the the back of my mind, I always had a little bit of pressure. She was a really great parent where she wouldn't watch every single match. She wouldn't get upset if I lost too many matches. She wouldn't, you know, yell at me, scream at me, all of that. So she was always supportive. And she told me, look, as long as you're happy on the court, I'm happy too. So that really helped me, not just back then, but in college as well. But you put the pressure on yourself. I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I am a perfectionist, not just tennis, but everything in my life. And I, I regret putting that much pressure on myself, especially, I mean, young age, but especially in college. Um, it definitely took a toll on me more than I thought it would. Yeah, it'll, it'll do that. And, and you came to college from Serbia because that's where you're from. Yeah, so I moved across the country, two suitcases and two tennis rackets and by myself for the first time. So it was it was definitely a huge change. Looking back, I don't know how I would, how I did it. I really have no idea because it's such a big change and it it takes a lot of strength to do that. I was away from my family for the first time. I didn't know anyone where I was going. I mean, of course, I knew the coach. I knew the team. I talked to them. But again, I was far away from everything and everyone I knew. So it was it was definitely tough. Yes. And having that pressure, like here I am in college. Yeah. Want to do as well as my mom did or better. Exactly. I, I just wanted to impress everyone and show everyone that I'm as good as I seem. So from day one, that was hard. And I knew and I ended up I mean, as a freshman, I ended up playing number one position in singles and doubles eventually. So I really had no room for making mistakes or taking a little break off or any of that. So I knew that 
I had to be there. I had to show up every day and put 100% effort and everything. And on top of that, I was putting so much pressure on myself that it, it really, it was really tough. Well, how did it go for you? It went good. I mean, looking back, created some amazing memories. My freshman year, everything was kind of new. So it was not as stressful. I didn't put as much pressure on myself as later because I didn't, you know, never play college tennis before. It was fun, exciting. I struggled with injuries a lot. I had herniated discs since I was probably 12 years old. I grew really fast. So I had really, I had a lot of problems with my knees and herniated disc. And once I got to college, that started getting worse. I, I don't remember a day or a week that I didn't have problems with my back. So eventually, you know, playing number one, a lot of pressure. And I never, I never took a day off. I always had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So not just my back. I had problems with my shoulders, uh, again, with my knees left and then next year, right. And then I would take cortisone shots, steroid shots, everything from my back just to get through the year. There was never a fix for me for my back because it wasn't that simple. So all I had to do is spend hours in the training room every single day and then go to the court, push through it, get off the court, go to the training room again, play a match, training room, practice, training room. So it was just back and forth. It was, it was really hard. And I, I felt like I shouldn't show any weakness. And I regret doing that. At the end of my senior year, I did open up to a few people. But again, being the best player of the team was tough. And it comes with pressure. So I felt like no one ever listened to what I had to say about my body or how I felt inside. So I just had to push through it. Hmm. I think I've seen, seen some stuff that you've written. And one of the things that I think would come up for, especially non-athletes, when you talk about your injuries and you know, pushing and pressure and all this is like, why? But most athletes, this was all you knew. This was your identity. Exactly. Exactly. And whenever someone asked me for those five years, whenever someone would ask me, who are you? You know, my first thought would be, I'm a tennis player. I play tennis. Like that's, that's who I am. In my mind, there was nothing else that I could think of. So I think that that's another thing that makes everything harder, especially not just during college, but after college, once I got done with college, I sat down and I was like, okay, who am I now? If I'm not a college athlete, division one college athlete, a really good tennis player, who am I? And that was, that's something that is not being talked about enough. And I don't think anyone prepares us for that as student athletes. And it bothers me. So I try to talk about it as much as I can. You know, I'm so glad that you do because there are a lot of programs in college athletics where, I mean, I think just about every athletic department has one where it's like career training and vocational exploration and that sort of thing, you know, resume building that's still like trying to get a job. It's still about what you do. Mm -hmm. And there isn't as much talk about who you are. No. Yeah. And it, it makes everything harder. Even when I was looking for a job, I didn't know what I want to, where I want to be, 
what I want to do. I didn't know any of that because in my mind, I still wanted to be that athlete. You know, I still wanted that extra, even though I got that COVID year, my fifth year, I still wanted another year, another year. My body didn't want it. My mind, probably not, but it felt safe. It felt like I knew what I was doing if I was an athlete and I had that schedule and I felt safe. And then once I got done, it was like, okay, what now? You know, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I want to be. And it was really tough. Yeah. Are there times where it still is? Yes, definitely. Right before I got to IMG, I had no idea what I want to do. And I was really panicking. I was crying every day. Whenever I would talk to my boyfriend, I would just tell him, look, like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I was really burnt out from tennis. After I graduated, I told myself, I don't want to see a tennis racket for a couple of months because that's how those five years affected me. And I just needed a break. I just wanted to stay out of tennis, even though I knew that I would be good if I, whether that's coaching or still playing professional tournaments or whatever, I knew that I didn't want to be involved with tennis and I was crying and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what kind of a job I want to look into. I was just not ready. I was not ready to be a non-student athlete. And now then it took a couple of months to figure out I actually talked to Kim Hilinski when I was really, really, really feeling down. And I told her, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I was, I was crying for three days. I was like, I don't, I don't see myself doing anything right now. And then she mentioned IMG Academy. We talked about it. I reached out and I got an offer to come here as a tennis coach. At first, I asked myself, do I want to do tennis? Because Again, I felt like I was burned out. I felt like I wanted to stay out of tennis, but I wanted to be somewhere where I'm surrounded by good people, good coaches, good athletes, because I want to help them with my experience. You know, I want to share everything I've been through, not just on the court, but off the court too. And I felt like this was a good place that's going to help me do that. And I'm really happy I'm here. But the process of getting here was really, really tough. Pretty brutal, it sounds yeah. When we talk about that identity and some of the things you've written too, you talk about like the thoughts that plagued you mm-hmm. when you were playing, which I, w- I want to hear more about. But I think that comes from, well, this is all I am. Mm-hmm. This is what I talked about when I wrote a story for The Hidden Opponent. But I always felt like everyone would be disappointed in me if I lost that no one would like me, that no one would love me. Like not, I feel like, I felt like even my family would feel a certain way about me if I lost. And I never thought about myself. I was so worried about everything and everyone else around me. And I, I truly think that I never performed up to my potential. Again, I was number one player, singles and doubles. But for me, I don't think I ever performed up to my potential because I would constantly think, oh, I have to win in order to have a good week, or I have to win to get my mom to talk to me and be happy. And for my best friend or my boyfriend or whoever at that time, I have to win and then everything will be okay. And if I lost, it would be, I would be miserable. And that's, that's something that I don't think it's healthy or good, but no one ever told me that. I just felt like no one will care if I, if I don't win, which looking back, it's really sad. 
And I know that there's a lot of athletes who feel that way and they will feel that way. If someone doesn't explain it to them, like look, you are more than just an athlete or just tennis player or basketball player, football player, it doesn't matter. And your worth is not based off your win loss record. And it's for me, that's how it was. And it's just breaks my heart now looking back. Yeah. Yeah. It's really lonely. Mm -hmm. Really lonely. Yeah. And feeling that pressure of um, if this is who I am, then a win makes me good and Mm -hmm. a loss makes me bad. And um, I mean, nobody enjoys a loss. (laughs) Everybody likes a win, but it's not who we are. And, and those are messages that you didn't necessarily get growing up from your family, but somehow it turned into that. As I said, I was always supported. And whenever I needed something, whether that's on or off the court, you know, I had it from my family, from my friends, from my coaches. I had everything I needed to have. But in my mind, if I didn't win, if I didn't perform the way I wanted to perform, they, you know, they will not, not love me, but I will make them happy. I didn't even think about myself. Like I, I love winning and I hated losing more than I love winning. But I always thought about, okay, what will everyone else around me think? Even in college, when there would be people watching me, I would think, okay, what will they think of me if I lose? Even before I start a match, that would be my thought. What will they think if I lose or if I don't perform well or if I let my team down or if I have a back pain that I have to play through? Like, what will they think of me? I don't, I don't know where it, where it comes from, but it's not something that I grew up around. But in college, it really, that's where I started dealing with it for the first time. And I didn't realize that until I graduated. Well, and you don't know where it came from, but it's not uncommon with collegiate athletes or athletes in general. Yeah, it's not. It's just, I don't think athletes talk about it enough. Yeah. Now, lately, yes, I think it's starting to be be a more open conversation. But when I was a freshman through my senior year, no one really talked about it. All we had to be perceived as is tough, strong, strong-minded, strong body, everything, strong athletes in general. No one should be perceived as weak. So th- I think that's why I held everything in and tried to push, 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 and never said anything about what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, you were talking about having not played up to your potential and when it's not your whole identity on the line. It gives a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. to make mistakes, to take risks, to, you know, go for the win rather than avoid the loss. And Mm -hmm. it's really liberating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My, I feel like my mind was constantly holding me back, especially during matches during the regular season. I just felt like the, the matches that I lost, it was, more because of those thoughts that I had and that I was telling myself rather than the way I played. And I think those thoughts, if I played bad, it would affect my game. I didn't realize it until now. I was, there was so much pressure that I didn't, I, I couldn't think of it. Yeah. Well, because nobody's talking about it and a lot of people around you are thinking the same way. Yeah, exactly. But it's super distracting. It is. 
I've done this uh, exercise with teams where I pair them up, but I give one person a script and the other person is supposed to do something. You know, sometimes it's sport related, they're sport related. Other times it's like juggling or whatever. And the script, like this person is right in their ear going, you suck. I can't believe you don't drop that ball. Like, how could you put yourself in front of everybody? You're going to be embarrassed if you drop the ball. And, you know, finally, some people are like, shut up. I'm like, would you be friends with that person? Would you want to play with that person right next to you? That's what you're doing to yourself. Exactly. That's, that's amazing. And especially I feel like in tennis, we talk to ourselves a lot. We're, you know, we're alone. We're out there by ourselves. And I know I'm not the only one who talks to myself. Every single tennis player out there talks to themselves. Maybe you can't hear them, but they have a lot of conversation with themselves inside, which is another thing that makes it tough. For sure. And I think stories like yours are really helping with the stigma. It's interesting. What I see happening is there is almost this explosion of it's okay to not be okay. And athletes speaking out about the pressure, about the mental health issues that are rampant in athletics and sport. So I think the, the average, there's no average collegiate athletes, but typical collegiate athletes will say like, oh yeah, of course, take care of your mental health. Like it's okay to be okay, but they're not necessarily doing it themselves. Mm -mm. And it's hard to recognize. It's, it's really tough. And I mean, as I said, I definitely see more athletes saying that it's okay not to be okay. And, you know, talk to people, open up, share your story, but there's no change. I don't see a lot of change. I still feel like we're being held back. Even now as a coach, I still have teammates that are playing, former teammates. And I want them to use what I have to say. I mean, really use it and not have to go through what I went through and then realize when it's too late. But I don't think it's that easy. I think there needs to be a lot more people and a lot more conversation about this. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if you have any idea what it could be, but it's really hard. Well, I think solution is a strong word, but this conversation that we're having is part of it. Whatever it is that's going to help, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that's going to fuel change and, and give people the, you know, a lot of people say courage to speak up and open up and talk to somebody, but it's, it's more about the willingness and the um, recognition, mm-hmm. uh, the perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really hard. I think there's a couple of different things that um, stand out to me about like how difficult it is to make that shift, that mindset shift, especially in college, because it's such a mixture of business and, you know, fun and all that. But you yourself didn't recognize it because you chalked it up to pre-match jitters Mm -hmm. and excitement. Ever since I was little, I had what you, what I was told, you know, the regular pre-match nervousness and just butterflies and oh excitement about playing but I knew that it was a lot more than that 
like I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to sleep the night before I wouldn't be able to eat the morning of which is not normal because I need energy and I just I wouldn't feel great I would just feel anxious before every single match no matter how strong or weak the, our opponents would be I would just feel so much anxiety and I thought that was normal I thought okay that's just what I should feel but I don't looking back I don't think it's normal I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have because mm. not sleeping not eating and feeling that way is not great and I wish I knew I wish I talked to someone about it and I definitely think that it would have been helpful if there was a person who would be like hey are you okay like why do you feel that way before every single match but I was told that that's normal so that's why I never talked about it and I even when it comes down I mean this is I never talked about this to anyone but I remember my sophomore year I've always been eating healthy and I've always tried to you know keep my body healthy to be able to perform my sophomore year I think I ate too healthy mm. where I would avoid certain groups of food too much and then get to a point where I have to eat it I remember this so well. It was a Friday night and I ate a bunch of chocolate. I can't remember exactly how much, but I know it was quite a lot. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I have to go run right now. I have to make myself run and do and exercise and that will make me feel better. Hmm. And I went to the gym and I worked out for an hour because I let myself eat what I should not eat in my mind. Mm. And that's just, I mean, no one should do that. No one should punish themselves for eating certain groups of food. I did, again, I didn't realize that until now. And I would have ups and downs. Am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? There was moments where I would be told that I'm eating too little and I wouldn't feel like I'm eating too little. And then I would have to eat more just to make those people around me happy. And then I wouldn't feel good. And then I would start eating little. And then I would be told I'm eating little again. So it was a constant circle of listening to other people and not listening to what I want to do and what my body needs. So mm. I don't, that's another thing that was really hard. And I never talked about that because I never felt comfortable. But I know that there is a lot of athletes who do it, especially females. Even here, my first month here, I was just listening to a conversation that our girls had with a nutritionist and one of the girls said oh my god I have to go run for an hour because I ate a hamburger last night or and last night when we ate the hamburger we went for a run for two hours so we have to make it up and I said hold on hold on hold on that's that's not what we should do but it's still I still hear it everywhere and I don't think it's healthy no and I really appreciate you sharing that because it is so common and athletes categorize it as dedication and passion. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I was always fit and I'm tall and I never had any weight problems. Like I always look like an athlete, you know, what an athlete should look like. But again, in those moments, I still needed to look better or run quicker or do this or do that. And my way of doing that was not eating certain foods, 
or over-exercising or punishing myself for eating certain foods or, you know, just horrible things. Looking back, it's really horrible. And I see it still in athletes, not just college, but high school, even younger groups. And I see that parents and coaches, there's parents and coaches who support that, which is not okay. So it's, it's a problem. And I don't know how to, how to help. Again, we're not going to resolve it, but how to help decrease it. Well, you just did by sharing it. Hopefully I did. At least if there is one, one girl, female athlete that, or male that listened to it and understood what I'm coming from, that, that would make me happy. It's such a trap. This idea that, well, first of all, coming from a place where it's like, I have to win, I have to be the best, or I'm worth less than I would be if I did. And, and that creates this anything it takes kind of mentality. Exactly. And it's like, well, yeah, I, you know, don't eat this and I do eat this and I have this relationship with food and I work out to this extreme and I get anxious and, you know, Mm -hmm all this before a match. And it's like, well, if that's what it takes, and it's very rare that anybody encourages an athlete or, I mean, I wish force an athlete to take a step back and say, if that's what it takes, is it worth that? Is it worth you? Mm -hmm. The answer would be yes. If you don't know who you are, You don't know to say I'm worth it. Exactly. After I graduated, that's when I asked myself, was all of that worth it? Was all the time in the training room, all the my relationships with food, which was nothing compared to my injuries and my anxiety and all of that that I've experienced, but was it really worth it? Like looking back, did it make me feel better? Did it make me feel accomplished after I graduated? I don't think it was. I don't think if I had to do it again, I don't think I would approach it the same way. And after I graduated, I just forgot how to enjoy tennis. Mm. You know, I, I, I feel like that whole process of everything I've experienced made me forget why I like playing tennis, why I like being on a tennis court. Cause I was so focused on everything and everyone around me and food and what should I look like? I would be perceived as tall, strong, fast, amazing tennis player. But in my mind, that's really not how I felt like, especially my last two years. And it's hard, but speaking about it definitely makes makes it easier and makes me feel like, okay, I want these people to know how I felt and maybe that will help someone else. And the idea that there's a different way to do it. Yes, definitely. I think a response that I would hear, you know, that I can hear athletes say is, but that's what it takes to be the best. And it's like, but being the best is overrated Mm -hmm. if you lose yourself in it. Exactly. And nobody is the best forever. Mm -mm. It's it's impossible to be. I mean... Everyone has good days and bad days and good matches and bad matches and good weeks and bad weeks, good months and bad months. But when you're a student athlete or professional athlete, you tell yourself that you have to be perfect all the time. 
And that's what I did to myself. My personal expectation is what hurt me the most. Yeah. There's a, a quote. I'm not going to say it exactly right, but it, it's Mia Hamm, U.S. Women's National Soccer Player. It says somewhere behind all the years of practice and all the training and all the people who pushed you, there was a little girl who fell in love with the game, mm-hmm. play for her. Mm-hmm. And you didn't fall in love with tennis to be the best. You fell in love because it's a beautiful game. Exactly. And then you lost that. And that's a huge loss. Mm -hmm. And that's why I told myself, okay, I don't want to hate tennis for the rest of my life because of the things that I've experienced. Because it's a big part of my life. And it's something I still want to enjoy. And still, I want to have a relationship with tennis after I got done. But at that moment, I, I felt like I did not enjoy it at all. So I told myself, okay, do whatever it takes, take a break, and then remember why you started playing. And I'm glad I realized that. And I'm glad I remembered why I started playing and how I felt about this sport. But it was just, the process was a lot harder than people think. Yeah. I am so glad you did too, because now you're in a position, especially there at IMG with young tennis players Mm -hmm. to be a role model in terms of, let me tell you my experience. I played collegiate tennis. I played number one and it did nothing to fulfill me. I I actually already had like a couple 30 minute conversations with girls they would lose their match. They would cry. They would feel really upset. And I would put them on the sign. I would be like, okay, sit down. And I would share my story, which makes them feel a lot better because they know that they're not the only ones. And I told them, this is how I felt. And I don't want you to feel that way. This just because you lost this match. And it was, it was a practice match. It wasn't even a real match that day. When I talked to the girl, it was a practice match. And she was for her, that was the end of the world. And I told her, it's okay. Like you're going to have 60 more practice matches in the next two months, but they, they are emotional, but hearing my experience definitely helped them. And they told me, thank you. Wow. I feel so much better. Wow. We didn't know that you would experience something like that. Cause they see me as the perfect coach who never dealt with anything like that. And then I told them about the hidden opponent, the Helensky's hope, And then I started using my social media as a way to talk about these things and give advice. And I had girls who would come up to me the next day after I post and telling me, Hey, thank you for posting that. It really helped me. And that that's, you know, that's what I want. I want to see them happy and I want to see them enjoying tennis. Yes. Every athlete is going to feel disappointed after a loss. Mm Mm-hmm. And it has to have a limit because it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not, it is important. It's Mm -hmm. a big part of who you are, but it's not all that you are. And there are other things you're going to go home to, you know, a family or, or teammates, friends, a dog, you know? Yeah. Most of their identities depend on the sport that they play. Even at this age, high school age, it's not just college. I mean, I can see it now. They think that they have to win for their parents to be happy when they go home. And there are parents who put a lot of pressure on their kids 
in a good and bad way. So I, I understand that pressure, but at the same time, they need to be open with their parents and explain, hey, this is how it affects me. And I want them, I just want them to be able to enjoy their sport. And even if that means sharing my experiences that I never, I'm a really shy and close person. And I, if you told me five years ago that I'm going to be talking about what I've been through, I would say, no, I would never do that. <laughs> so now it's like the, talking about the things that I've been through. It's amazing. So I never, I never thought I would do it, but it's the best way to help them just opening up and being vulnerable with them. Yeah. I see you helping young people recognize that their worth is not in wins and losses. It's not in their performance. It's not in what they do. And sharing your experience is so much better than somebody saying, you know, just somebody that doesn't know what it's like and doesn't know that passion that can propel you forward, but also hold you back in some really interesting ways. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Of course. Of course. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do this as, as long as I'm not working as a tennis coach, but any job that I have in the future, I want to stay involved with sports, but no matter what I do, I, I want to keep emphasizing this and sharing my experience. And especially, I mean, the last few years were really tough with COVID and everything. And that was my probably my toughest year when COVID hit. Mm. I was quarantined eight times. Oh my gosh! In, a, in one semester, eight times, and I lived by myself. And I had to be quarantined two weeks every time, and it was miserable. And then the last time I had COVID, but the last two years have been really, really tough for everyone. Yeah. And I feel like if we don't keep reminding each other that, you know. It's okay to feel a certain way. It's okay not to be great. It's okay to lose. Then we will make progress because you never know what's going to happen next year and what we're going to deal with in five years or 10 years. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Thank you for having me. I mean, this foundation and Helensky's family is, it means so much to me. I can't even emphasize it enough, but I love being here and I love having the opportunity to talk to you. And I told Kim and I told the whole family, I will always keep talking about Hillary Cecil Hill Foundation and about Tyler and remembering Tyler and wearing my wristband and, you know, sharing the story because it's really important. And I will just keep using my experiences to help others. And I hope I affect athletes and non-athletes in a positive way. Well, I know that you will. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Again, a big thank you to Tina Shvetkovich, as well as our producer, Graham Doty, and our editor, Chelsea Battle. If you're struggling at this time, please reach out to family, friends, or a licensed mental health professional in your area. And we want to hear from you about topics that you want to hear about. So please reach out to us at info at Let us know what would be helpful for you or your fellow athletes to hear about. Share this podcast with anyone you believe would be helped by it. Subscribe to it, rate it, and review it because that helps other athletes find the podcast. If you would like to know more about Holinsky's Hope, including how to donate to help with all that they're doing to support student-athlete mental health and reduce the stigma that surrounds mental illness, 
visit www.polinskyshope.org. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of others and always have hope. Thank you.